Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you eat, sleep, and breathe golf... Sounds like my kind of guy. ...love to explore... All right, here's what you do. You're going to call your PR guy on the phone, tell him I'm here to see him. And most importantly, just want to have some fun. Looks like we got ourselves an orgy here. Well, welcome to Talking Golf Getaways with Mitch and Darren. Don't you think this is starting to get just a little big for the two of us to handle? Here's the guy with all the questions, Mitch Lawrence. I don't know how much you know about journalism, but first rule of thumb is don't ever ask a question that you don't want an answer to. And the guy with all the answers, Darren Bunch. It's not his fault. He's just trying not to lose his job. Hello and welcome once again to Talking Golf Getaways. Glad you found us wherever you consume your podcasting content on Apple Audio Boom or as always on the Golf Trip Experts website at golftripx.com. I'm Mitch Lawrence once again, feeling the absence of my co-host Aaron Bunch, who's continuing to build his media empire. And by the way, more power to him, Chris. Uh, I'm sure you saw this, the news that Rams Hill Golf Club in California destination. We both know that Darren's been working really hard helping get the word out. It was just named as a top 100 public golf course in America by Golf Digest. I mean, that's- I did see that. That is quite the accomplishment. Congratulations to Darren and everyone involved with that. I know we know quite a few people that helped them get there. Completely agree. We're not going to tell Darren that we congratulated him. We don't, want <laughs> his, we don't want his head to get bigger than it already is. Um, I will be guiding the ship along with Chris, who you just heard, our esteemed audio pilot, co-producer. You can find us all on the socials, me at Mitch Lawrence, Darren at Golf Getaways, and Chris at Chris McEwen. And of course, you should be catching up during this time on past episodes of Chris's great pod, Golf Origin Stories. He took a little summer hiatus, did some other stuff, but he's going to be, and I'm so glad about this, Chris, because it's so great. You're going to be ramping it back up soon again. So, Sure am. That's good Excited news for, for all of us. Yeah, and we are too. Yeah. Uh, oh, and also, of course, you have to subscribe to the fun and informative Driving Range Heroes with Chris and Bill Bush. Think about it, talking about building a media empire. <laughs> I'm going to have to call your secretary soon. I can feel it. Can feel it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. A great opportunity today, just completely almost out of the blue as we head into Ryder Cup week at the superb golf Kohler destination that is the Straits course at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. On a quick whim, a few days ago, I reached out to Mark the Caddy, one of the best followers you can find on Twitter at Caddy Tales. That's T-A-L-E-S for those of you who are spelling impaired, Caddy Tales. Um, he spends his days carrying bags and the games of visiting golfers on his broad shoulders at Whistling Straits. We are lucky that uh, he's just gracious. That's what he is. Uh, he agreed to join Chris and me today, taking time out of a really well-deserved two weeks off. While the cup is contested, we're going to talk about one of the world's great destinations, the cup, his life as a caddy and more. So it's with complete gratitude that we welcome Mark and I'm going to call you this, I think, Mark the Caddy, <laughs> kind of yeah. like Megan the Stallion. I think you deserve <laughs> some kind of pedestal approach. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, great to be here with you guys. Thanks for asking me. It's a fun opportunity, and I'm always happy to talk about life at a beautiful, amazing place like Whistling Straits. Yeah, man. I, uh, those of us who do follow you and get to see the pictures you post and the the great posts you put up uh, from your vantage point. And it's, it's, it's a great window into that world. Um, and as we'll talk about, Chris and I have yet to visit Whistling Straits, which is a source of deep, deep sorrow <laughs> for the both of us. Um, but, but things like your account really give us a window into it. So we're grateful to that. Before we get into the course itself and the Ryder Cup angles here, which is obviously on everybody's mind, I just wanted to start with your story. Tell us a bit how you came to Whistling Straits. Uh, you decided where it's, where you wanted to spend your days, how long you've been there. Just give us a yeah. little little back, Mark, the caddy history. Sounds good. You know, I uh, 
have been at Whistling Straits. This is my third season. So I uh, moved here to Wisconsin uh, back in the summer of or spring of 2019. My wife is actually from here and all of her family is here. And we were looking for a time to get back to this area. And uh, she actually grew up a mile and a half around the corner from the Straits. And uh, she grew up on a dairy farm. So Whistling Straits is out in beautiful rural farming community in Wisconsin. And uh, it is uh, not a place that you would expect to find what's going to be the mecca of golf over the next week. And so anyway, we were looking for an opportunity to move back. And I was looking for opportunities to just kind of make a life transition. And I just kept seeing ads and we were home for or uh, in town visiting for Christmas, the Christmas before. And somebody said, you know, I hear they do great at, you know, caddies do really well at Whistling Straits. And I had never thought about being a caddy before. But one thing led to another. And uh, we took the leap and decided to move here. And I started in uh, May of 2019. And it's been quite a uh, intense learning curve, uh, certainly that first year. And then the second year was kind of a little bit odd because of COVID. And then this year has just been crazy, crazy busy uh, for a you know, number of reasons, not the least of which is the Ryder Cup coming. So I uh, really do not regret the decision. Love being here. And uh, I'm really grateful for the chance that I have every day. I love having a job with no emails and no meetings. And <laughs> you feel nice and physically tired at the end of the day. And if it goes well, great. If it, if it happens to not go well that day, well, you had a five-hour kind of contract with those people and you never have to be with them again. So it's kind of, <laughs> kind of a great, uh, great opportunity. What did, can I ask what you did before? So my background is in education. So various mm -hmm. roles in education and uh, just kind of burned out and, uh, and was ready for a change as, uh, and then it was a good time to move because of our kids. I have four kids and based on their ages and the years they were going to be at in school and stuff, we, uh, it was kind of like move then or don't move at all. So we took the leap. How cool. How cool. It's interesting that you have a, a an educational background because I feel like as a caddy, you're sort of teaching uh, players about the course they're playing. Sure. And who are oftentimes like children. And you yeah. must be patient as well. <laughs> Very patient. Yeah. You know, there it's, it's, it, you know, it, a lot of people, uh, you know, especially on golf Twitter, focus on the actual physical playing of golf aspect of caddying, as one would rightly assume to be the case. But with the majority of groups, it's really a people management job, uh, working well with others and exercising <laughs> patience and communicating effectively. And uh, quite frankly, the golf is often kind of secondary to being able to do all of that. Okay, let's since I was going to get to it later, but I want to continue this discussion before we get to the Ryder Cup and the actual course, because uh, I, I find it fascinating. I know Chris and I and Darren, certainly, we've all had caddies, uh, and I'm going to focus on the great ones we had. Occasionally, we've had some that weren't as good. We won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but the, uh, you know, the connection between a player and a caddy, especially I would think at a play, I mean, I've played on courses where I had a caddy where it was, it was more important just to kind of get some information and have somebody that would carry your bag and we can experience the joy of just walking without carrying it. I love walking. I don't mind carrying, but, um, but at a place like Straits, that first year that you got there with no experience caddying and at that course specifically, that must have been, I can't even imagine what that was like, given how iconic a course the Straits has become yeah. and what most golfers would expect out of you when they say, okay, let's go. I mean, it must have been intense. It, yeah. And I have actually thought of that a number of times this year about how, because um, I'm so much more comfortable and now I can answer questions without even like thinking about it. For instance, you just, a lot of the same things come up over and over again. And I was just 
finding myself trying to recall what it was like that first year. And, you know, most people were gracious. Um, Did you tell them right off the bat, I'm new at this? You know, yeah, you, you they, most times people ask how long you've been there. And I would just say it's my first season and you can <laughs> see some reticence with them, but like, you know, and most times it was fine, but when you got a real intense player or a real great player, it, you know, it could be, it could be tough. So I often leaned on the, you know, the caddy I was working with, especially if I had an experienced one, you know, humble mm-hmm. enough to kind of follow their lead. And, uh, but I, I, I thought about that a number of times this year, how, much worse at it I was two years ago just because of inexperience. There's just things you learn uh, over over walking the course so many times that I did not have the benefit of, especially those first few months. So right. um, it's, it's the job has certainly slowed down for me and gotten quite a bit easier. Um, so when you when you're going out, let's talk about the. This is a podcast about golf and travel. So clearly. Yeah. Uh, we're connecting with golfers who do travel, who will go to a place like Whistling Straits, play the Straits, uh, most of whom probably have never been there before. They've seen it. They know the challenges. They walk out of the clubhouse having never seen the course. Uh, and as Darren, I asked Darren what he thought about Straits when he first went there. And he literally said that when he walked out of the clubhouse and saw the reveal of the 18th and what, what he knew then was in front of him, it was one of the great experiences that he's had. He literally said that. Yeah. Um, when you get players who are, and I would assume if it's based on the average of amateur golfers and their skill level, <laughs> um, and we won't get into numbers, but let's just say that it's a majority uh, who aren't, great golfers. Is that the biggest challenge you face is that they expect somehow that they're going to play better because they have you guiding them yeah. or talk about the reactions that you have with golfers who come for the first time. Uh, that's a hundred percent. Actually, it's the number one thing I dislike about the groups and, and the, the job is the unrealistic expectations. Mm. Um, you have, you know, you have a fair amount of guys who say they're not good at golf and they, they almost go overboard on apologizing before the loop starts. But the reality is the majority of our players are pretty type A successful people and they come and uh, they, you know, a, a red flag is always when somebody says to me, uh, they're going to go low that day um, because the odds are overwhelmingly against that happening. And uh, so, you know, managing their expectations is something that I try to do right off the get go, even, even from the start of kind of what tees they want to play because 7,000 yards at Whistling Straits doesn't play the same as 7,000 yards at their local Florida country club, for instance. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, Guys often don't seem to process that in advance. And um, so you're, but you're dealing most times with people who are the boss, who are in charge, who are very sure of themselves in most other settings in life, are very successful in most other settings in life. And now they're coming to a golf course that you know is, is got a good chance of humbling them. And, uh, <laughs> Or, or angering them. And so managing their expectations is a very important part of the job. And um, I had a guy this year, I met him, and it was a, already kind of a frustrating day because there was this big tournament out on the course. And so the first – and it was not a, like, tournament for good players. They paid to get in it. But they took themselves real seriously the way they were looking at putts and wouldn't give a putt or whatever. And so the first loop took five hours and 50 minutes, which is crazy. I had a super heavy bag. And then the uh, end of the round, the guy didn't know he had to tip me. So it was just kind of a frustrating uh, morning as it was. Well, then I had to turn around and my tee time for my next loop was literally 10 minutes after I finished my first one. So I'm like, this is going to be a miserable day. And it was a total cluster up at the bag drop and end up meeting the players at the uh, tee box. And already you're irritated because they had cart bags instead of carry bags. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die out here. And one of the players goes, 
all I can think about is 64, Mark. And I didn't even process it. I'm like, I looked at him. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I got to shoot 64 today to be in the money. And I'm like, well, oh boy. That would be, I'm like, that would be Man, like the course oh record. And, he goes, <laughs> and he's like, well, they play from, they play from further back than us. And I'm like, and I'm like, this is good. I, I, I will pay you a hundred dollars not to caddy for you. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, it turns out that him and another guy shanked the ball off the first tee. We ended up looking for it way longer than you should look for a ball. They hit it into the junk and cause, and uh, then they, um, uh, we couldn't find it. And then their playing partner didn't let him take a lateral. He made him run back 200 some yards to, um, retee and the first oh, hole man. took 35 minutes to play. All that's to say is, I mean, this guy, he says he's going to shoot a 64. He shot over a hundred and the low man in the group had a 94. Oh, and God. you're like, wow. what made wow. any of you think you were coming to whistling straights and going to have that kind of day? Well, then this guy who did they tip you, they, they did that day. Yeah, that group did, but not real well, but because guys like that <laughs> never do. But um, yeah, the, <laughs> the one player, I couldn't help but feel like every shot he missed, he somehow was looking at me as though I was the problem. And I'm like, it, it was just it was just a crazy thing. But the whole the whole negativity of the round started with him having just completely asinine expectations and uh so we i see that a lot and um and so there's certain red flags that uh i have like whenever a guy greets you at the bag drop and says you're now you're going to read all the putts perfectly so that uh, i make them all and i can win my match you know they'll say something like that you're like this is going to be a miserable loop and uh because you have to go into a uh, 18 holes at somewhere like the straight zone, you're going to miss a putt at some point. And uh, so anyway, there, the, that's a big deal. So you hit the nail right on the head. How do you deal with, um, because I've played with people like this, obviously yeah. uh, with a caddy. I'm always, I always marvel at your ability knowing what's going on and what you're talking about to be able to hold yourself in check. Cause I'm from New York. If I were caddying, I probably wouldn't have a job that long because yeah. I'd get a few holes in and I, I'd be gone because I would tell them what I was thinking. Yeah. How do you, are you just so able to kind of contain yourself for five hours, 50 minutes? Oh uh, yeah. Where, you know, I try be, to, you look at it as just, you know, this is my job and this is what I do and I'm going to get through it. Yeah. So like you, there's a few ways that it ends up working itself out. Uh, usually, uh, what happens is is around the four, it's always on the in my experience the fourth or fifth hole. One of those two people blow it up and they realize okay I'm not shooting my low round today and and I would say the vast majority of guys kind of like come to a level of acceptance there and um, maybe their attitude changes and then they start just kind of like refocusing towards having some more drinks or whatever the case may be. So how about having fun? Enjoying yeah, right, it. Right. Okay. Then, right. All right. Right. And then there's the other guys who start, you know, like um, really moping and getting angry. And most times you just don't say anything. Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, they're, 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 these are not the type of people that like, if you saying something will not help. And right. so you just kind of quietly and move and, and do your job. And, um, you know, those guys are not the majority. That's the mi minority. But um, and then there's the very minuscule number of players where you just kind of have to say either to them or someone in their group, like, we need to take this down a notch. And uh, right. it's only happened a, a few times in three years. And um, and, you know, but but the thing that I always always so I want to I'm working on a book and um kind of lessons I've learned through caddying and probably the number one lesson that I want to talk about in this book is emotional intelligence and maturity. Because as I mentioned, like you got all these successful people with lots of money and, and, you know, respect and whatever in their jobs and communities. And then golf is the great equalizer where they're, you know, they may be worse than a lot of people and um or they have a hard round and and a lot of the guys handle it well and a lot of the guys act like big babies and so right. um you know 
translating that kind of over to life, learning how to deal with disappointment or things not going our way. I, I have actually really grown significantly out of what I've observed because I get so annoyed by guys who just can't handle hitting a bad shot um, that uh, I don't want to be anything like that. Right. Um, we're going to use this since you were an educator, we're going to school people here who yeah. are listening to this. Uh, we've already talked about emotional intelligence and high expectations. Uh, assuming somebody walks up and is going to use you or any caddy. Um, we just, I just played the ocean course and we had a great guy. There were a bunch of great caddies there. What's your, what's your other kind of advice about how the golfer yeah. should approach having a caddy and what they can do. They always look at the caddy and say, what can you do for me? Right, right. What what can the golfer do for you? Yeah, to what, make I, the round what I would say is really helpful is for the player just to communicate, hey, this is what really helps me uh, when I'm out on a, on a round. And um, this is, so, so for instance, if a player's like, hey, I am a, I am someone who really likes to get, um, exact yardages or whatever. So that really helps me. Then, you know, you're going to be right on top of that, you know? Um, So I have found, or like if a, if a player says, you know, this is my weakness or, or this is my strength, you know, um, the, I would say most of the caddies that I work with at Whistling Straits, uh, if they had that kind of information when a loop started, it would be invaluable in making the experience better because they're all good enough to be able to then cater uh, to those needs. And uh, so, yeah, just a quick communication at the bag drop, say, Hey, this is what I, this is what I find helpful. This is what I don't find helpful. And uh, that, that would be my number one suggestion. Oh, cool. Um, how do you look at, I know one area because yardages are not that difficult to come by. Right. Um, for you on a course like, straights where there's wind elevation that kind of thing that has to be factored in but you're you're in year three so that's getting easier um what about reading greens i always find that the the green reading aspect of what you do again because of expectations i've had rounds with caddies all over the place not a lot but there have definitely been times where after the first three holes let's say i didn't trust the caddies read anymore um how do you deal with because you're going to make a call. If they ask you to read it, you're going to read it. it. What happens if either because of their mechanics or. Yeah, yeah uh, that, I would say that reading the greens is, is probably the number one thing that people um, look to. You know, that's the information that people value the most, I guess. And uh that they tend to differentiate. Do they have a good caddy or a bad caddy? And so, you know, uh, one of the things that I, you know, kind of emphasize with my players often is that, you know, the read changes based on pace, you know, because I, I, my experience is everyone is so dead focused on getting a right line, mm-hmm. uh, but it's really hard to figure out the pace on a course like the straights that you're playing for the first time after you play like your home course 80 times a year. And, um, but like, uh, you know, uh, you can tell when a player isn't buying in or doesn't like it, uh, that doesn't happen often. Uh, you can tell when a player is disappointed. And what I find is you just, on the ones you miss a little bit, you say, oh, I missed that. And that's cool. Um, occasionally you have to kind of let a player know he pushed it or pulled it. And, you know, the easiest way to do that is just right after they hit it up, pushed it. You know, that just kind of <laughs> sounds a, cause that happens so much more than they acknowledge, you know, and, uh, you sound and, like what I do to Darren when we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, it, it can, I'd say most times we're reading the greens really well for our players and, and they acknowledge that, but there are some people, man, I've had, I, I swear if I, I just want to like scream and I'll have a player who's shooting around a hundred or so. And so it was a very average to below average golfer and, they're playing a little Ryder cup match and we're on hole 17 or 18 and they've got a 40 footer and they're like, Mark, I really need to make this. So give me your best read. <laughs> it's like, 
I mean, you almost <laughs> resent it because they like they're rating whether or not they're going to make that putt on the job that you do, right. you know, and uh, and and it has nothing to do with the job you do when it's a situation like that. So no, uh, it's very it can be very frustrating. <laughs> well, I laud you on so many fronts. I really do. Chris, you have any other questions from a golfer's perspective? No, I mean, this is all really, I think I, like you talked about, you know, being up front with the caddy, like, hey, uh, I could use this help or that help uh, is immensely helpful for, I think, a lot of us. I haven't played with a lot of caddies and I'm always like, I don't know, uh, hesitant maybe to to say those, you know, to point those kind of things out. Um, so even just that, like, makes me feel better. So thank you for that. The uh, One of the caddies, the, the caddy we had at the Ocean Course, Mark, did a great thing that I hadn't really experienced before in all the rounds I've had caddies. Although, like I said, 90% of the caddies I've had have been fabulous and I've loved it. Uh, but this guy on the first tee, now I'm different because I play 100-year-old hickories. <laughs> so my club descriptions and whatever are different than anybody else's but he there were my wife and I played and there were two guys playing with us that we didn't know and both of them were good they were probably I'm going to say both of them were about a five and on the first tee before they hit a shot the caddy said to them uh as we get started here and we move through different clubs I'd like to know if I can and it's easy what you hit the yardages that you think you hit your clubs, yeah. which I thought was amazing that he kind of took that attitude, which they liked. So if he, he wasn't going to say to them, it's a six, yeah. but he had, he had some awareness of, would they rather be hitting a long iron or a hybrid or sure. would they hit driver or three wood or, and it made, it started the round on such a good, you know, a good foot. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, great move by him. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, before we, uh, we're going to leave this now. I could talk about you, you job the caddy <laughs> forever. And before we went on, you said that you need this two week rest be, to let your body heal. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, again, if you're on a flat course in the middle of Iowa, not the same when you're, when you're doing what you do on the straights and a lot of days double looping, it's yeah. a miracle to me at whatever age you are, that you can uh, you can get through it, especially with guys bringing cart bags. Which <laughs> yeah, so, so brutal, you man. know, <laughs> little little uh, side here to all, anyone who may be listening. Um, you need to lighten your bags, folks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll have a the way that I now say it when I have a real heavy bag there, and we want guys to take stuff out of it. As I just say, helps me help you because right. you know, then you can move quicker. Because uh, right. some some of the bags people brought this year were obnoxious mm -hmm. and uh you know there's a difference between a little heavier bag versus just somebody who's like you know and then and then after your caddy tells you the bag is heavy you don't need to put a water and a gatorade in it right as you're leaving the starters table right, okay so right. I, I digress no no <laughs> but that's good do they have uh carry bags at the straights yeah so like that was a very rare thing where I had to carry a cart bag. If somebody comes with a cart bag, it, we require them to switch it out to one of our. Oh, good. Bags. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel, wear, I feel better for you now. So yeah. <laughs> Mark, More do you so, wear any kind of uh, step tracking? I'm sorry. Device. Do you wear yeah, any kind of step yeah, tracking yeah, device? Yeah. What's your, what's your yearly step total? Uh, I don't know what my yearly step total is, but to give you an idea, like on the straights, if, if, uh, and a loop, my highest for a double loop was 45,000. <laughs> and that like an, a, a normal loop is going to be somewhere around 17,000. But, you know, you might get people playing the blue tees who are shanking it, you know, left and right all day. And, you know, you could get over 10 miles in a loop. And uh, Good Lord. my yeah. back just went out. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I've literally had a day where I've, walked 20 miles out there with bags and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, that's where usually, usually around seven or eight is, is probably eight is kind of the average, but that's still a, a good hike because it's not flat. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Here's a question. Do you look at fluff? Do you look at Mike Cowan and go, 
this guy should be enshrined. There should be a mountain yeah. for fluff. <laughs> no. Given what he's doing at his yeah. age. In yeah. The 70s. You know, it's, it, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people would look at me though. I'm a big guy. And uh, this season, unfortunately I didn't take off the weight that I normally would uh, during a season because I just found that I used caddying as an excuse to eat like a savage when I was <laughs> and, uh, because I was so tired and stuff. So like some of the meals I had after caddying were just disgusting this season. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, and always kind of on the go. And um, so, you know, I didn't take off quite as much weight. So I think some, I'm certainly have had players who look at me and go, how does this guy do this two loops a day? But, you know, right. your body gets conditioned to it. And, uh, you know, but there are some days where you're on the last few holes of your second loop and you like question every life decision that brought you to this point. <laughs> and uh, you're just like, when a player, when a player, um, you know, is searching for a ball, you're just like, that they hit to a different hole. You're just like cursing them, but you know, uh, but yeah, so a little aside to my first two seasons, double loops, probably between the two years combined, I did maybe 10 total double loops, uh, this year, 35. Oh my, holy. That's just gives you an idea of how how busy you've been. How busy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it makes total sense. People were cooped up for a long time. They wanted to get out the Ryder Cup, all that stuff. Yep. Um, before I before we move on to the Ryder Cup and the actual straights course, I'm going to make you feel really good right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I did, when when it turned out you were going to come on, I asked, I kind of put it out there on Twitter, and so there's I got this back, and this is going to make you feel good, and I'm pretty sure without meeting you in person, this represents the majority of people who feel the way that a guy named Gavin Blair from Iowa oh, does. Does yeah. that name sound familiar? Oh, yeah, I know Gavin, yeah. He said he had you on the bag for a couple of days a year ago. He said you were absolutely great and helped him pull his head out of his ass yeah. on the sixth hole. Now he, I'm translating here because I'm from New York. Yeah. He said his you-know-what, but yeah. he said you pulled his head out of his ass on the sixth at the straights. Well, you know what? I always try to find, you know, I actually remember that vividly. He was really a, him and his wife were great to spend a couple of days with, but you heard me mention earlier that people usually blow up around hole four or five. And he exactly did that, you know, and it was a little frustrating for me because he had requested to have me, he had followed me through Twitter and I'm like, the guy's shooting a horrible round. But once, uh, once you get done with five, six and seven are a little easier. So I said, okay, we're going to turn this around and. Uh, so we get to the sixth hole, a relatively short par four, and the pin happened to be in a very advantageous place that day. So he hits a good drive, then he hits a second shot, and it goes over a hill, so you can't really see what it does uh, on the green. Anyway, we get up there, and we're thinking the ball was perfectly hit. We're searching for like two minutes for the ball, and I'm like feeling so low and feeling just miserable, like this guy's having a terrible day. I'm the worst caddy ever. And all of a sudden, I walk by the hole, and I'm like, oh! Balls in the hole, and no, you want to see, so he eagled it, and you're like, if you oh want to see a mood change immediately, <laughs> uh, have an experience like that, and uh, you know it was just really, you know. But he was like, you said it was going to get better. You said, you know, that we were going to turn it around, and I didn't mean like you were going to eagle the hole. But uh, uh, that was a nice thing to have happen. So, How great! Yeah. How great! I see. This is what's great about this. Because when I first read that, his post, I went, uh-oh, okay, is this a story we're going to be able to tell here? Yeah. And then he put up a picture of um, of himself and his wife. Yeah. And I said, I got back to him and I said, this is what the game is about. It's such a great picture yeah. of the two of them on that green. And yeah. now that you tell the story, it's even better. Yeah. I mean. Yep. No, they had a great time. Oh, his wife was super cool. And she was not like a serious golfer. She mm -hmm. could make her way around the course, but she was there because she was being like a cool wife and they right. were having a good time together. And you wish more of that happened. You really do. Like, because yeah. uh, it, it just, it's a fun time when it does. Well, hopefully people listening to this will take all this into account the next time they come to the Straits or wherever they play. If they play a nine holer near them, it should be the same attitude. Um, let's, let's get to the Straits. Let's get to the Ryder Cup 
Uh, we'll go through some stuff fairly quickly. There's so much to talk about. And there's obviously so much already being written and said. And people are used to that. What I was interested in was somebody who's there every day who knows the course as intimately as you do uh, relative to the guys that are coming to play it and what some of the things we can be a little more aware of based on your expertise. Before we do, I want to, you mentioned something when I asked you about your coming there first and you mentioned that it's farmland. Yeah. And I was just reading about it and I hadn't, I've never been there. So I hadn't really done a lot of research on the Straits. I've talked about it with people, but I hadn't realized that it makes total sense that before Pete Dye got his brain and his dozers on it, mm-hmm. um, it was a flat piece of ground. It was farmland right. on the shores of Lake Michigan. And Chris and I just got back a, few, a couple of months ago from the Dye course at French Lick. And it was a similar experience in terms of what he did with the land. Uh, it used to be an army base. Yeah. In the 50s, they used to have about 600 soldiers there doing anti-aircraft training. Uh, and they brought in 7,000 truckloads of dirt. Yeah. Chew on that for a while, people. 7,000 truckloads of dirt to give us the course that we see today. So um, what it is now, this stunning, spectacular, you know, postcard of a golf course that you walk every day. First off, I guess, you, have you had a chance to, uh, the players have been there for a week now. Have you had a chance to interact with any of them? No, were you, no. They, were you already gone? They, uh, they don't, they, you know, unfortunately, that's not one of the perks of the job. They, they keep mm-hmm. us away from them. Um, okay. But a couple of guys on Sunday actually um, waited around and there was three guys picked who would have gone out with some of the pros if they would have taken caddies, but they didn't mm-hmm. while they were practicing. So, no, I haven't interacted with them. So it's an interesting point. They're going to have their own caddy. Right. Right. So this is like the early days of the Masters, for example, when the local caddies were the guys who, who carried for pros coming in. Then it changed. Now Augusta's different because they play it every year. But it's interesting to me that they wouldn't want some kind of, I mean, their guys are coming in cold unless they've played the course a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. My guess is, I mean, I don't know. My, my guess is that they're probably like the, they're interacting with like our pros or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, they know the course well too, but it would, it would just be a cool opportunity for the caddies. Even like, I guess a bunch of them practiced on Sunday and Monday. If they would have even just let us kind of walk around while they right. were doing that, you yeah. know, and, uh, but I'm sure they don't want caddies out. Some of the caddies may not behave and, uh, you know, uh, uh like the old days, yeah. like the old days in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, ah. yeah. So I don't know, but, uh, that would have been really a, a neat experience, but uh, my guess is they, they're, they're interacting with the pros some and, uh, getting knowledge that way. Um, you know, well, here's a here's an idea though. We want an advantage. We meaning yeah. be, being the Americans. Yeah, I love the whole thing. So, but you're talk, You know, they talk about Stricker setting up the course. Yeah, they widened some of the fairways right. to give us bombers a little more chance. What a great opportunity! If before you could go out, you guys, the good ones. Yeah. You know, keep the partiers in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let let people who are there every day just walk. And if asked, you know, if I were a caddy, if I were caddying for pick a player, I would certainly turn and say, what's the tendency here? What is, how does this green really work? What have you experienced with the wind? To me, that's talk about getting an advantage over the European players. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and a few holes like where they did widen them or create kind of like a, um, a bailout area, you know, whatever. It'd be mm-hmm. interesting to kind of um, go over what's the best way to approach that hole, you know, driver or three wood or whatever. So, um, yeah, that would have been a really great opportunity, but uh, they, that was not afforded to us. So instead, I'll just look forward <laughs> to uh, next week being a spectator. All right, so let's just let's talk about the course and the actual Ryder Cup competition yeah. as a as an expert, which you are. Mark the caddy. Um, what's your, what are your expectations of how this might go? Nobody can predict it, yeah. but the course is such a demanding test. We've seen it in major championships. You know, we've watched it already. We've seen 
yeah. issues with bunkers. Dustin Johnson probably, well, he's Dustin, so he doesn't. Yeah. But if it were me, he'd have a nightmare about 2010. <laughs> yeah. And what he thought was a waste bunker that wasn't. Um, talk about the key kind of points that you think are going to play a, a pretty pivotal part. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned something earlier that I think is probably the number one issue is is weather. Um, mm -hmm. To be honest, I think the course is, for those guys, for probably a lot of birdies if we don't have heavy wind. Uh, you know, they're just that good and they can hit so far that, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for them, especially if they set up the holes in certain ways with the, where the pin positions are. So, you know, I don't want to have it be like bad weather all the days because I'm going to go out there. But I, I, you know, one day where the wind is blowing real like 25, 30 miles an hour, uh, I think dramatically uh, will change how the course plays for them. Um, there's a couple of holes where the where they put the flag will dramatically change it. Primarily hole six and hole twelve. Um, they're kind of very unique greens, and um, if they put a, like these, and I and I heard that Stricker actually doesn't have a say in where like the pins are going to be. PGA right. and Ryder Cup Europe's doing that. Those holes uh, could play very easy, or there's you know ridiculous, and there's kind of no in between uh, based on where they put the flag. The hard part for like. And I, you know, it's hard to translate to how it is for the pros, but for like, what I would say is let's say we get a really good golfer out on the course. Um, and you know, does really well at their club and is a, is a good handicap and stuff. What is always the thing that can blow up around for them is just some of the lies that you can get on the hills or like you said, in the bunkers, you know, you might hit a drive a few yards offline and it bounces into this bunker and it's under this ridge and you can't do anything but just pop it out a few yards, mm -hmm. you know, and I can see that being a little bit of a negative for the Americans if they can't keep the ball uh, safe and in play. And, uh, you know, I, a lot of the caddies have kind of talked when we've just been chit chatting about it, that we worry that somebody like Bryson DeChambeau, that the course just really doesn't, it doesn't favor somebody like him because yeah. it's just very easy to get into some trouble that can cause you to blow up a hole. And, um, there's going to be a number of holes though, where I think the Americans aren't going to be able to lay off hole number one, Maybe hole number six, uh, where the flag is, hole number uh, 10 and 14, which are all par fours. Certainly some guys are going to try to drive the green. And if they're able to do that, then obviously there's some real scoring opportunities out there for them. Um, what about the talk about the uh, the par threes at the straights? Because. Uh, again, I'll go back to what Darren said, and I've seen and most of us have seen pictures of the par threes. Darren said it's probably in all the courses he played the greatest collection oh, yeah. of par threes in terms of challenge and fun. Yeah, absolutely. That he's played or the, the par threes seem to be someplace where there's going to be a lot of, yeah. of, you know, motion back and forth. That's right. Because, of where, because of where they all sit. Yeah, they're all on the water. Right. And uh, hole three has this ridiculous green where, you know, in, in, where they place the flight. It might be impossible to stop the ball if it goes past the hole and it'll just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. Um, so that there's that uh, hole seven is was the one that I think John Daly made famous by throwing his club in the water. Uh -huh. um, that's probably uh, my guess will be the one that plays easiest for them. Hole 12 is the shortest. Like some days we're playing that hole, hole 12, and it's a 70 or 80 yard hole for people playing like the green tees. Right. Um, right. But there's like where I'm sure they're going to put the flag one day is in the back right corner of the green. And it's like landing on a little postage stamp with no margin for error. And right to the right of the green, it rolls down into the water. I mean, it's, that's gonna, <laughs> that, that is like the whole, that is going to be fun to watch. That one is where you're like, I, <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing the guys trying to, you know, stick the ball there. And then hole 17 is a lot of caddies favorite hole on the course, just mm -hmm. a very long par three. Um, 
And if you've got that the one, win- that one can play two thirty five if they want to, right? I actually more. Uh, wow. the, the black tees are at two forty nine, <laughs> and if you um, have a wind blowing into your face, it's crazy. Yeah. And we uh, we joke there on that whole like you know that they've got all of Wisconsin to their right, and uh, if you go <laughs> left down the hill, like the the caddies and caddies aren't licensed to work in Michigan there. So, you know, we, we don't want to go down there with them, but, um, yeah, you know, but that's just a little cut driver for McCune. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. that, that, that whole like, that can be just such a total beast, you know? Um, and so, yeah, they were, they're all beautiful. And if I am correct, I think, um, I know on 17, they put up bleachers, so that'll be a fun one to watch. And I know on uh, 12, they put up some bleachers as well because they're such fun holes to watch. You know, there's some courses that these uh, competitions are played where uh, a lot of the matches don't get to 17, 18. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we some matches we may not see get to those holes. But luckily for us, the last five at the straights, the last five holes, at the straights are pretty stinking good from what I can tell. Yeah. And especially if you have a wind into your face, Mm -hmm. um, 14, they did an elevated, they built a new elevated tee box for these guys. And so that's one of the holes I mentioned that, uh, the big hitters may try to go and drive the green. And then 15 is a really long par four, really long par four. 16 is an uphill long par five right along the water. And then seven and then 18. I, I just, from where the pros will play that hole. I, I just personally can't envision a harder golf hole and right. uh, more amazing mm-hmm. golf hole. It's, it's, I mean, we, we marvel at, I, in three years. I've caddied there three years. I've seen now thousands of bags carried between the two I'm carrying the other caddies carrying two, all those loops. And in three years, I've seen a total of three birdies on that hole. <laughs> wow. And most caddies see one or two a year at most. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, they haven't seen Chris and I play. Yeah. So that's after <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, well, this is, this is, I feel like, again, we could spend a whole lot of time talking to you about the, all of this. Fascinating to me. Um, what about, before we let you go, because I know you've got some uh, school pickup. You're a good dad. Yeah, yeah. So we want to make sure we get you out of here on time. But uh, there's obviously other courses. Uh, The Irish. Yeah. um, There's Black Wolf Wolf Run close by. Give us just a couple of thoughts on the other courses. Yeah, the Irish uh, destination, Kohler. The Irish course is my favorite to play. Um, you know, a lot of people ask us about playing the straights. We don't, we, we actually don't really play the straights, the caddies, mm-hmm. because it's like, who wants to walk it after you've caddied and, right. and it's harder to get on for us. Um, the Irish is much more accessible to us and, you know, similar, uh, to the, to the straights in many regards, except for the, you know, not being on the water. Um, but a little wider fairways, but beautiful it was, it, it, the condition it was in this year is just so Amazing. Over at Black Wolf Run, really the river is probably our second most popular course. And some mm-hmm. uh, would say, many would say it's actually the hardest of our four courses. Uh, with the difference being like, you know, over at like the Irish and Whistling Straits, if you hit the ball out, you might not be in a good spot, but there's a chance we're going to find it or a strong chance we're going to find the ball. Over at the river, um, everybody loses more balls. You're just not, you're, it, a ball's gone if you don't keep it in play. And then Mm -hmm. Meadow Valley is, you know, it's, it's the fourth rated of our four courses, but you know, if you weren't, if you just showed up and played that and didn't know any of the context, you'd say, man, I played an amazing golf course today. And uh, that's probably the easiest one of the four, but uh, still they did some work on the back nine a couple of years ago and it's just gorgeous. So what a treat! it is, it's an amazing place to, come for a trip. The one I'll throw one little thing in there though. And I had a player say this this year and it stuck with me. He shot a 73 with me. So he was a, definitely a very good player. One of the players who's been all to every course and in Scotland and Ireland and all the destination courses in America. And he said to me one, one thing that he, and he's played the straights a number of times. He said one mistake that he thinks a lot of players make is they go to resort courses for golf trips and he even threw in like Bandon Dunes in that category, uh, Sand Valley in Wisconsin. He threw in in that mm-hmm. category. 
And he said, and then they come to Kohler and they book these four courses and they're going on their buddy's trip. And so they've got their mindset that they're going to a resort vacation. And he's like, guys need to know Whistling Straits is not a resort course. And that goes back to having the right expectations. Because what happens is guys get, start getting beat up by the course and they start getting all down and frustrated. And I thought that was a great point he made is, you know, guys are always booking these golf vacations, but they got to know that not all of them are created equally. Uh, and he put straights kind of at this level of difficulty that you need to be mindful of. That's great advice. Fabulous advice. All right, Chris, we're going to let Mark the caddy go. Anything, any final thoughts? Mark, with, with all of your sort of, uh, you know, local sort of tribal knowledge of the course. Are you going to be uh, dropping some tidbits on Twitter during uh, I, the weekend? I plan on being very active on Twitter over the course of the next <laughs> awesome. week. Um, so yes, at Caddy Tales, anybody out there, but I plan on being very active on Twitter, having a good time with it. I mean, I just created that Twitter account on a whim one night last year and started throwing up silly stuff. And it's kind of proven to be a fun little diversion. I hope someday I can learn how to monetize, but I'm not quite there yet. So. Well, here's one thing that you're doing for all of us. You're doing a Ryder Cup giveaway, I've yeah. noticed. And you could, it looks great. It's fabulous stuff. Are you going to do that all through? Next yeah, week? yeah. So I won some things. We had a raffle uh, for the caddies. They kind of gave us some stuff because of working hard this year and everything. And um, so I'm basically re-gifting, but, um, and there's, there's a couple of things that I'll buy on my own to send out, but yes, I plan on having a few more giveaways over the course of the next week. So stay tuned for that as well. Okay, cool. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for uh, hopping on. This has been fantastic fun. Um, and I just, uh, uh, as I said, I'm always in awe when you get somebody like you who has chosen something purposefully for all the right reasons in life and get obvious passion and joy along with the ups and downs of it and uh, have such a great attitude. I, I think it's fantastic. So no, bravo really. to thank you. you. And I enjoyed talking to you guys. It's a lot of fun for me too. And so thanks for the opportunity and I'll be uh, tuning in to both of you guys in the future. Okay, great. Chris, thanks, man. Always, always great. I have a feeling that you and I are making secret notes and plans right now to get up to Kohler. Yes. All right, good. You're a little closer than I am. I may have to leave a bit earlier to get there. But uh, again, Mark the Caddy, Mark the Caddy, uh, at Caddy Tales on Twitter. As always, we have to thank you for listening as well. Couldn't do it without you. Follow us on the social media at Golf Trip Experts. Lots of great content about golf and travel. Don't forget to check out Golf Origin Stories, Chris's show, That Range Life, because clearly Chris isn't busy enough and we got to keep him out of trouble somehow. I don't know. Herb Kohler had a dream. Mark has a dream of great rounds with great people guiding us all around the place he loves. Chris and I dream of getting to play Whistling Straits with Mark the Caddy. Hope you have a dream too. Go chase it. So long. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.